on my part, it just had to take a lot of trust <laughs> to be willing to take that risk and to move out of the what was comfortable and what was normal for us. And to, like he was saying earlier, just to take a big leap of faith and just to even like trust the vision that was in my husband's heart to just go ahead and do it and not just be stuck doing the same thing we've always done because there were big dreams in our hearts and we wanted to impact a lot of people. But I knew that there is also a time in the beginning where you're laying the foundation and there was sacrifices that you had to make as well. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations with entrepreneurs. I'm Rebecca White, and my guest on today's show is Troy Bravenbore. Troy is president of Brave Freight, a company he started 10 years ago after spending several years in sales. This business is a premier motor carrier organization that offers unique opportunities for both its drivers and shippers. More recently, Troy helped to start Dawn TMS, an innovative tech-enabled company that supports the business side of running a freight company. Listen in as we talk about the importance today and future of freight and logistics and the lessons Troy has learned thus far in his entrepreneurial journey. Plus, we had a special guest appearance by his partner in life, Sarah, who shared more about the impact on family and the importance of trust for entrepreneurial support and success. So Troy, thank you for joining me on The In Factor today. Yeah, this is a pleasure. Thank you so much. So I'm so excited. I think you reached out to me uh, maybe a few months ago and reconnected. And I'm really excited to hear more about what's up with you and with Brave Freight and all of that. But before we do that, let's let's back it up a little bit and um, you know talk about a little bit about how you got to where you are today. So what's been what's your entrepreneurial journey looked like to getting you to 2023? I think. 10 years into, is it 10 years into Brave Freight? Yep. 10 years this March. Yeah. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about how you got there, how you got yeah. here. Yeah, for sure. And it's so exciting too, because like, I definitely want to shout out UT and everything that you're doing at the Loth Entrepreneur Center, because it actually was a very critical engagement when we got accepted into your entrepreneurial program that really changed the trajectory for everything that we're doing. So um, yeah, you know, real quick, just to kind of recap, uh, I know that uh, you're, uh, I believe, the dean, right, of the entrepreneurial school. And um you know, but I, I am a college dropout. I just have to confess. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so okay. I dropped out. I dropped out of college, but I knew that I had a heart for business, and uh, I ended up getting in door-to-door -door sales. I moved down to Tampa, Florida. I actually, went to a Bible college here. And while I was at um, while I was at this ministry school, I did door-to-door -door sales, and I just really seemed to flourish at door-to-door -door sales. And I did that for. Um, that's when uh, uh, Verizon FiOS first came out, the fiber optic phone, internet, TV, and went door-to-door -door and sold that, and had a really great time just learning the grind of sales and learning how to serve customers and learning how to break preoccupation. And every entrepreneur has to learn how to do sales in some fashion or another. And uh, so we did door-to-door -door for several years, went to work for a company called Vivint and did that door-to-door -door for several summers. And it was a really good summer opportunity while I was in school. And uh, But nobody grows up and wants to be a door-to-door -door salesman when they're older. You know, it's not like the career day choice, uh, you know, of teenagers. And I just wanted to have my own business and I wanted to have something that would allow me to travel while I had my own business. And just through some serendipitous events, I uh, was at a wedding in Missouri and um, had breakfast with my wife's mutual uh, mutual friend of ours. And he's like, hang on a second, let me finish some of my work with my business. And immediately I was like, man, what allows him to travel and have his own business at the same time? He was doing some nonprofit work and, uh, and it ended up being a trucking company. And it was the right investment point. It was the right lifestyle. It was just like all the things that I was looking for and really just kind of took a step out of faith and just started learning everything I could about trucking, like not knowing anything. Like I looked at rust bucket trucks, but I just looked at them just to kind of, you know, just to start doing something, you know, and I uh, got involved in trucking in 2000 and uh, like 12, I started learning about it. 2013, we started the company and um, yeah, started building, started building from there and, and just kind of growing and going. Yeah. So did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or was this just um, a, a natural progression? And by the way, thank you for the shout out. It was a delight to have you and your, your team in our program a few years ago. And 
Um, and you're exactly the kind of company that we love uh, having on campus because you're such great role models for our students. So thank you. you yeah. Know, yeah. You mentioned that you did sales and I, you know, sales is so critical, but is it, is it sales that launched you into business ownership or has this been something that you always wanted to do? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I mean, I just think back as a childhood, I had a pretty like, you know, quote unquote, normal childhood, right? Like I didn't really have many jobs. I always wanted to make money as a kid. I remember being in fifth grade, like reading John Grisham books and being like, oh, lawyers make a ton of money. I want to be a lawyer to make a lot of money, you know? But then I, I kind of went in and when I did, when I was at college, I was in school for graphic design and industrial design. It was a passion. I enjoyed it. I liked it. But I just also realized that I didn't want to have to design and create because of somebody else's strong hand on my life. I wanted to design and create because it was what I wanted to do. And I actually got involved in a network marketing company at that time. And um, it just broke my brain. Like, like financial freedom became an option. Like I thought it was just like this gift that was bestowed upon the fortunate in life. And I didn't realize that it was something that people could intentionally strive for. And like, I just started to realize like if other people could do it, then I could do it. Right. And you can't, you can't determine the direction of the wind, but you can determine the set of your sails. And I realized that no matter what was happening in life, that I could change my sail to direct the wind to help project me in the way that I wanted to go. And that if other people could do it, then surely I could do it too. People put their pants on one leg at a time, as the saying goes. And I just realized that like I was going to be working for the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life. And if I was going to be working anyway, then I might as well be doing something that was going to be the most benefit to me and my future family at that time. And also to potentially help as many other people as possible. And it was like, so that was like this idea of working for profits instead of wages, that I could be better at something than somebody else and make more than them just by being better at it. I was a hard worker. That's for sure. I was a hard worker. So I'm like, all right, let me do that. And, uh, and that's kind of how it got into sales. And then, you know, sales is still just directly related to generally to your general output, you know, unless you're some type of manager that gets paid overrides or whatever the case is. And I just realized that I wanted to have an asset out of my work and not just have a job. Right. And that's where like the idea of like business ownership came because it's like, OK, cool, I can build something that actually has like asset value that I could then own at that point. And just kind of the net that progression of. I don't know, success mindset, I guess you could say, just like learning and growing. And uh, and that's what got me like just hungry to be a business owner was like, hey, I want freedom in my life. I want to build something that lasts, something that I can give to my kids and change general. I didn't just want to make a lot of money. It was about more than that. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned, I think you mentioned your wife at the time that you, so you were married uh, when you took this step out of work or were you on your way to being married? Yeah, I was yeah. married. She's here laughing at me. She has a headset on here. Come poke your head in real quick and say hi real fast. <laughs> this will be a fun little treat. You know, She's beautiful. She's way better than I am. So Hi, <laughs> how are you? So I'm about to ask him a question about, you know, what your response was. You know, what was your wife's response when you here, said, go hey, I'm, I'm going to... Yeah, come <laughs> this on is a little treat. I didn't because... We didn't plan on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, it can, so it I was can married. be really yeah, tough. I was... Uh, we, we were in door-to-door, and uh, we'd been married... This was two, we got married in November of 2011. So I did another summer in 2012, but it was in 2012. So we were only married for almost one year before we felt this. So go ahead. Why don't you share from your perspective a little bit, babe? Um, it, on my part, it just had to take a lot of trust <laughs> to be willing to take that risk and to move out of the, what was comfortable and what was normal for us. And to, like he was saying earlier, just to take a big leap of faith and just to even like trust the vision that was in my husband's heart to just go ahead and do it and not just be stuck doing the same thing we've always done because there were big dreams in our hearts and we wanted to impact a lot of people. But I knew that there is also a time in the beginning where you're laying the foundation and there was sacrifices that you had to make as well, especially because yeah. at the time yeah. I was pregnant with my son as well. So oh, that, was, that was a that was a big thing. But um, I mean, we, we pulled through like. I felt peace about it. Yeah. And she really trusted me, you know, like I think that I had a little bit of a track record with having some success in sales. Like I did, I did relatively well in that, you know, and when you're doing door to door, it's a hundred percent commission. It's a great, it's a great sandbox to test yourself, you know, and test your mentality. You know, it's, I mean, door to door sales is like, you know, it's like all reward, no risk. And the fact that like, you don't have to lay out any money to generate capital. And it's like, if you can make it happen in that space, then, you know, kind of whatever else maybe you step into, there's a higher likelihood that you'll have success. So you know, I was in the top 1% of sales in that company. And so she had a little bit of trust that I could maybe make it happen, I think, but it was still like, uh, it was still like a, a, a step of faith, you know, it was still like, you know, you have to follow the dream that's in your heart. 
Yeah, and I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so glad. What's your wife's name? I'm so. Uh, Sarah. Sarah, I'm so glad Sarah joined us because I agree. You know, it. It. Um, I'm guessing it's been a it's been a, a journey that you've made together just by just by watching you and Sarah talking. And you know, a lot of people. Um, you know, a lot of people are really a lot of a lot of couples really struggle. It puts a lot of pressure and stress on on a marriage sometimes, um, and on relationships. So, uh, you know, while we have Sarah, I'm really curious, uh, you know, what, wh how have you been a part of, of the company? Have you, have you worked in the company or, or been, I know you've been supportive, but tell me, tell us about I tried how getting her to do my books for about four years and then I <laughs> realized that that was a, a, a futile <laughs> effort and it wasn't going to happen. So well, honestly, I, I'm a young mother of three kids, seven and under. So I think at the You've time... You've got a lot too, of work at home. Yeah. yeah, totally. So I had to try to juggle that um, while also at the beginnings of the business. And, you know, we're both learning as we go at this point. Yeah, I think the main sure. thing too for us is like we kept our overhead low. Like we really tried to live below our means and which is not really a popular idea amongst like entrepreneurs that want a lifestyle and the watch and the car and the everything else. Like we really just tried to live below our means. Mm -hmm. And I tried and then like the one thing that we did was we learned to pay myself as an employee for the role that I was performing before we would hire out for that role. So, you know, basically it's like, hey, if I could afford myself in a salary of that role, then I could afford to hire somebody else within that role and still grow a profitable company to be able to do it. So we did everything bootstrapped. Like with, we have a SaaS now that we're building. Like I know we engage within Brave Freight, but we just changed our membership open to our to our uh, our software, our trucking SaaS. It's a TMS. And it's like, you know, we've done the bootstrap thing. Like we know what that's like for our companies. We've done that before. And I think that it's really powerful as a founder to be able to, to build a bootstrap business and to know what it's like to have to squeeze every single dollar, you know, squeeze George Washington till he cries. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. you have to do that. And I think a lot of founders don't realize that. But, but Sarah was very supportive through the process. And it was really nice. Like it's, you know, not to be overly traditional, but like it was really nice to be able to be at my desk and have breakfast brought to me when I was working home or like to know that a meal was made. And like those are not undermined things. Like I think that sometimes society like undervalues those things. And it's like we know our lane and we stay within mm -hmm. our lane. And Sarah's lane was not balancing books, you know, it was not receiving payments, but her it was being a loving, supporting spouse that was encouraging, that believed in me and that yeah. spoke positive over my life. And, uh, you know, and I could just go out there and face the wind in the waves every day knowing that I had agreement from my spouse. Yeah, yeah, that safety net is so important because it, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to be an entrepreneur, but it's also hard to, to you know, to have a young family and, and have faith sometimes that things are going to work out when we've, when there are struggles, which there always we've are. We've a friend of way. ours now that's like, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's tough. I was just talking to him last night at an event and they had like a handful of miscarriages last year. And, um, you know, I don't know why we're going here, but we're going here. Right. And it's like they had, I mean, this is real life, right? Like there's it's people life. that are out That's there right. right now that this is what it is. Like, just cause you're an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you don't yeah. still deal with family and life, you know, and he's had a handful of miscarriages last year with his wife and, you know, he's full time in his business. They did a seed round. So they raised enough to be able to help him to be able to work. But like, you know, he confided in me. He's like, man, my like marriage is really taking a toll right now. He's like, how did you do it? Like, how do you, I'm like, man, we have a date day every night, every week. We have a date day every week. We set time aside. Even if we love our young kids that aren't a lot of work, we still have a date day, just us. And, you know, we try to go out on a small trip every year. Like we're here in Tampa together and we have family watching our kids over in Texas. So it's a short little three-day trip that we get now for ourselves. And, you know, yeah, there's different financial uh, flexibility that people have depending on where they're at in their company. But I think that there's something to be said about prioritizing your family. And I think uh, I, I'm, I'm the director of a business ministry for... Uh, for a, a church in, in Fort Worth. And, you know, I believe that businesses should have the strongest marriages. And for too long, marriages and relationship, family relationships have been like sacrificed in these, you know, alpha man type that sacrifice their family. And it shouldn't be that way. It should, entrepreneurs and business people should have the strongest relationships. They should have the best relationships with their kids. Their kids should believe that anything is possible because they see their dad and their mom doing anything and everything. And that really 
really needs to be the priority for entrepreneurs uh, and, and everything else comes secondary. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm glad you shared that because you're right. I mean, uh, entrepreneurs and running a business, we're, we're all people at the end of the day. We're humans and we're, we're navigating life and families and relationships. And it's so important to have uh, people on our side, you know, have a team on our side. Um, and not just the people that we work with, but the people that we can spend a little time away from our business because it's hard to do that. Um, it's hard to find that that time. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Agreed. So it's great. It's it's uh, it's actually a delight to have Sarah join us. So I'm, I'm so glad that <laughs> she was, was a little surprised. She, she came. Yeah, to, I'm glad she was to able support to support me do again. That. And the idea yeah. of support. She's here with a headset on, <laughs> listening to me talk to you. And it's and, part and, of it's part of the process. So I would like to talk a little bit. Let's let's sure. talk a little bit about uh, Brave Freight. And now is it Dawn? Dawn. 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 Like yeah. Dawn. D A W N. Yep. D A W N. So Dawn T M S. So let's talk. T tell us about Brave Freight. What is what does Brave Freight do in the transportation space? And and then what what is uh, you know how are you impacting the industry? I think with this new, we hope with this new company, right? Yeah. So the vision of Brave Freight is to provide owner operators and fleet owners with a simple turnkey solution to a scalable trucking company. So that's our vision and really what that means and what trucking is. So right now in the trucking space, there's 1.1 million trucking companies and the gross revenue in the trucking space is about $800 billion a year. So it's a ton of money. And 99.7 of those 1.1 million companies have less than 100 trucks on them. And uh, of that uh, 1.1 million less than uh, or more than 95% of them have less than 20 trucks. So the huge majority of these trucking companies out there are actually SMB companies, like small to medium sized business companies that's out there. And it's such like an Americana type of company. Like when you get out there and you see like the truckers, like I've been to truck stops, you know, we used to go door to door recruiting because door to door is my experience, right? So when I started building my company, I built these little flyers and went door to door at truck stops. I did what I knew how to do and just brought it into my business. And like, it's such an Americana business where you're out there with these people, but they're very blue collared workers and they're not very tech savvy and they're not really, they're like business owners, but they're business owners just by LLC, you know, class, not really because of how they run their business. So what we've done and kind of how it's grown over the years is Brave Freight is really turned into what we call a carrier incubator. So we take on these owner operators that, um, have an entrepreneurial mindset and they want to grow their business. And so being a carrier is like being your own trucking company. That's what they call trucking companies as carriers. That's the authority they get with the government. So the idea is that we put them on a six to 24 month like incubator course and we incubate them for a six to 24 month period and help prepare them to be their own trucking company. And we support them and show them all what it is. And it ended up last year, we actually started a sister company that's like a fractional carrier management company. So it basically does everything that we do for Brave Freight, but it does it as a service provider for these newly incubated businesses that have essentially graduated through our program. So it's like, cool, I'm a little guy that I just started my own business. I still don't know how to do all this stuff. Well, that's okay. We have a service company that can do done for you, done with you, or do it yourself type of coaching, and we can walk you through that. So it's kind of like this progressionary business. And then the software uh, that we've built, um, you know, uh, there's really not a lot of software for trucking companies. It's a it's like a fax machine kind of industry. Like, I mean, except for the fact that fax machines probably will eventually get outdated. Trucks, trucks won't. And, um, you know, there's just not a lot of innovation in this space. And the people that are innovating, it's like slow. Like I was just talking to uh, an investor today at Embark who does more like Series A and Series B. And I was telling him how a lot of these factoring companies that purchase these invoices, like they don't even have two-way API integrations for you to be able to like integrate with their platform and send data back and forth. And he was like, his mind was blown and just some of the different things. So the, the industry itself is very antiquated from the software standpoint. And we've built a software that at its core is what we call a load management software. So what I did was I said, hey, what is the core of every single shipment? Well, the core of every single shipment is the actual shipment, right? It's the load that moves from point A to point B. And when you can capture the data of point A to point B, you now have the heart of that business, right? If you know, so for instance, 
even though we might only charge 50 or $60 a month for our service, we know that every truck that we do on average will do $250,000 a year on volume. And of that $250,000 a year volume, because we have a carrier company, we know that that truck is going to spend 40 to 60% of its expenses on some type of vendor necessity that they need to be in the industry. So when you hold the, the, the nucleus of it, which is the load, you can start to cannibalize these other ports of, parts of that $250,000. You know their revenue. You know who their customers are. You know whether their customers pay or whether their customer don't, doesn't pay. So all of that data comes in, and we can now start to grow our business by offering them services that integrate with our platform. And then the benefit to that trucker is, I know this is a mouthful, but now, the, now what we get to do is we get to serve that truck driver better because we get to start to quantify gaps or areas that they can then improve their business, right? We can start to see, hey, you're spending this much on fuel and you're driving this amount of miles. Did you know that people that have your same year, make and model of vehicle are getting this mile to the gallon? So where can we help you with that or whatever the case is? So we're having like this data layer that's actually making data like usable to a blue collar worker and we're doing it in like a super user friendly way for them. So you benchmark what they're doing against all the data that comes into your system. Um, and then you can find ways to help them improve. That's that is so brilliant. I love it. <laughs> now I'm I'm curious, Troy, because I don't know a whole lot about the trucking industry. But were there other incubators like this out there? Were there other groups that were helping uh, independent operator owner operators kind of figure yeah, things so out? So we're like not the only, only ones for sure. But like we're the only ones that don't look like they're from Windows 98. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, innovation has been what, one of the things that you've brought to the industry. And now you mentioned that you found out about this. Did you say at a wedding? Yeah. So I was at a wedding in Missouri and, you know, again, my heart, I'm in door to door sales, don't want to be in it forever. And like, man, I want to have my own business. I want to have my own business. I want to have my own business. And I went to a breakfast uh, in Springfield. Me and my wife have a mutual friend who was actually uh, doing some traveling ministry and doing these big tent crusades up in Missouri. And it was an hour and away. We were living in Florida. He's from Texas. And we're like, heck, an hour away in, in Missouri is a whole lot closer than Florida and Texas. Let's drive out and have breakfast with him. So yeah, he's plinking away at his computer and like, hang on a second, let me finish with my business. And immediately I was like, man, what allows him to travel for his nonprofit work and have a business at the exact same time? Because that was my heart is to be able to have a nonprofit, to be able to serve people and have a business where I didn't need to pull a paycheck from my nonprofit. Right. And I'm like, oh, what is this and it was like trucking and it's like you know it's those conversations that you have with people and as they speak it's like on the inside it's like you know it's like mexican jumping beans going off on the inside you're like oh yeah 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 oh that's right that's right that's right that feels good and uh you know i just kind of took that information felt good and then you know when i came back to florida after that wedding i just was like who do i know that knows anything about trucking i'm a network person by nature and i learn from other people so it was like immediately it was like okay who can i talk to that knows anything about this cuz that's how i'm going to learn and that's how i and started and so when learning. you started digging in and learning about the industry you were looking for gaps and ways that you might be able to 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 uh, really, when innovation. I first started out, Dr. White, I was really just looking for how are other people doing it and doing it successfully, quite frankly, you know, because I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't, you know, I feel like I feel like that's one thing I, I could say, like, if I can offer like a bit of advice to to early stage companies, it's like, yes, do we want to disrupt the world? Absolutely. Should you let that passion, you know, go out? Never. But like, sometimes when you come into industry, there's nothing wrong with finding out how other people are doing it and getting started in a similar way and finding out how to be profitable. Because I think in immaturity, a lot of times we come in and we're like, ah, we're going to turn this city upside down. We're going to turn this industry upside down. And then you realize that the people who have been doing it for 20 years have forgotten more than you've ever learned. And it's like, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, just staying humble, getting in an industry, learning about how it's done. And maybe there's a reason why it's not done that innovative way that you think you need to do it because somebody, and again, I'm not saying that they have thought about it, but it's worth it sometimes to just get in, find find what works and what is profitable. And like, that's how we took our, our carrier company to seven figures in three years after a chain, we got in and we did it two years and we're like, man, there's gotta be a better way. And then we found a better way. And that allowed us to take it. We totally restructured our trucking company. We took it to seven figures in two and a half years. And then we took it to eight figures a year in the next uh, three years. But it all started from this foundation of just learning and being in the business. So, so I would say it's like, you know, we, 
came in with big personal dreams, but we also realized that we needed to stay humble and teachable. And we, we realized that we need to learn what works as a basis. And then when you learn what works as a basis, then you can make your little tweaks off of that basis and find out what's really effective. If not, you might've had a great idea, but you didn't have the other foundational elements, right? And you know, the whole thing gets shot in the foot because you didn't start out, you know, in a profitable yeah. manner. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. There's so much to learn, um, and 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 when you can stay humble and and always focus on learning, I think it's it's a real advantage as an entrepreneur. Because 100%. I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who become convinced pretty early that they have the answer and solution to everything, and and especially I can imagine in the transportation and trucking industry, there's a lot of um, you know a lot of there would be a lot of challenge to come in and be overly arrogant. And um, and so good for you. Now, I have a question for you about the whole industry of trucking and, and transportation. Is it challenging these days? I mean, is the industry challenged uh, with with finding enough truckers? Because yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a career that's been around for a long time, but you mentioned earlier it's not necessarily a glamorous one, although it's one many people love and make a lot of money with. But is there a, is there a problem with uh, our our people going into the our, our younger people going into this industry? Yeah, that's a good question, right? And you know, for ever since I've been in the industry, they've touted the idea that there's a trucker shortage. And um, you know, just my macroeconomic mind is like, okay, if there's a shortage of truckers, what would that mean to the rates, right? Supply and demand would mean, man, there must be a ton of money in here because if there's a shortage, then there's got to be a ton of money pouring in, right? That's just how supply and demand works, right? And we found that not necessarily to be the case. I mean, people have been t touting this like driver shortage horn for years. And really we saw COVID, we actually saw a little bit of pullback in like the initial months of COVID. And there was still money to be made because I mean, you know, I got actually, you know, being an Embark, I, you know, I see these really flashy and sexy companies doing really cool stuff. And I'm like, I'm just this trucking guy, you know what I mean? And then COVID happened. I'm like, man, I'm this trucking guy. Like trucking ain't going nowhere, you know, like it is a core industry. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it, it was like, so we really boomed like 2020, 2021, early part of 2022. And then really when the war in Ukraine happened and there started to be some fear that was in the market, like if you remember 2020, 2021, people were buying things they didn't need because they knew they had to wait seven to eight months because of the supply chain to be able to get them. Sure. And when there's a lot of freedom yeah. in the market and th bullish thoughts on it. They're, they're, they don't mind. Like, yeah, I'll buy something I don't need because I don't want to wait when it comes and I'd rather buy it now. But the second that that war happened, I think there was a psychology shift and then people started seeing like fuel pricing going up and people are like, well, I don't, I'm not going to get it if I buy it now. I'm going to wait six to eight months because of the supply chain problems. And then do I really need it? Nah, I don't really need it. So I think people started spending less money. So I think overall freight volumes right now, we use an amazing software. I'll shout out Craig Fuller and what the, the team does over at Freight Waves. They have an amazing platform called Sonar. And the volumes that are actually going out right now are actually pre-pandemic. And like early pandemic, the, the overall volume of freight that's moving right now is actually less than it was in early pandemic. So that just shows that like the initial sentiment of the American people is not buying stuff right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I always feel like you look at like leading and lagging measures and I feel like, you know, logistics and trucking transportation is a leading metric for what's happening in the American economy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, there's a lot going on, uh, as you said, and it's sometimes hard to track it and to figure out, you know, what things are going to look like in the future. But trucking is so fundamental and transportation and logistics to everything. So you brought up the pandemic and the whole supply chain issues. So tell me how, so you said during the pandemic, your business really boomed as well, um, you know, and, and um, so what, what do you think is the future? Like where are we headed in trucking and transportation and logistics yeah, you know, I think like the big question, right? Let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Like, what about self driving trucks? Like, everyone always asks me about self driving right. trucks. And there's a, a great company out there. There's several of them, but Aurora is a, a great company, which ironically, our software, our legal name is actually Aurora Tech. I got the name Aurora Tech in my heart and I Googled Aurora Tech. And sure enough, I find Aurora.tech is a self driving trucking company. And it like blew my mind. And it's my daughter's name. And Aurora actually means like the 
the dawn or the morning, which is where we named our company, our software company, Dawn from. So, um, but they're a great company. And, and uh, you know, so I, th- I think like just to kind of talk about that for a little bit, I, I, th- I think self-driving trucks doesn't necessarily mean unmanned trucks. A lot of times people think self-driving means unmanned. And I, th- I think just to put this in perspective is that like our government has a hard time with like a Tesla vehicle without you having your hands on the wheel for 10 seconds at a time. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine an 80,000 pound vehicle with hazardous material, especially with given recent events, like not being manned, like that just sounds a little far-fetched. And when one out of every six Americans is employed through the trucking industry, like I have a hard time believing that there's some politician that's going to automatically unload like a huge percentage of American jobs of truck drivers that are out there. So do I think that, you know, having totally self-driving unmanned trucks can happen. I mean, I think anything's possible, right? Like I don't want to discount that, but I think that, you know, having self-driving trucks, I think it's going to be, it's going to be appealing for young people moving in because it's going to be more of a tech enabled space and it's going to be less about having, you know, driving skills and it's going to be more about being able to like run efficiently and use some tech things. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for this new breed of truck driver that's coming out there that can use technology and wants to, to drive a truck. And it's great for people that have had different history you know, people that come in internationally or maybe they have backgrounds or something like that. Like it's, it's been a great second chance opportunity for people to be mm-hmm. able to build really significant incomes for themselves um, in the space, you know. And then uh, trucking is just not going anywhere. I mean, it's a core industry, right? So I always tell people without trucking, you'd be naked in a field starving because you wouldn't have any clothes, you wouldn't be <laughs> in a building and you wouldn't have any food. So like trucking's not going anywhere. It's going to be around for a very long time. And I don't see, I see things happening happening more efficiently, like even like as our software comes out and like we have some AI things that we've got in the works where we're going to be able to take market data, driver data, and truck data and find the Goldilocks zone between all three of those to then increase efficiency for, you know, trucking companies. So I think there's a lot of neat stuff. It's, uh, so the truck, the the industry as itself, it's going to be around forever as, you know, I mean, until, you know, they come up with some replacement for trucks. And I think it's just going to become more tech enabled. I think that's the challenge though, is that there's so many monolithic platforms out there that are like big icebergs that are hard. They're like Titanics. They're hard to maneuver. And I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more of these speedboats with microservices out there that, you know, it's not about having this one platform that does everything, but it's about having the platform that integrates with all the other platforms and plays really nicely with all the other people in the playground. And I think those are going to be your big, you know, your big come to come to market superstars over the next, you know, five, six years. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you see much change, you know, in, in automobiles, the other big um, conversation is around electric vehicles. And, you know, I, I'm on a, I'm on a, a Marine Max board. I'm on the board of a company that's a heavy user of fossil fuels as well, which is what trucking is. What, yeah. you know, what's happening with that? You know, the whole fossil fuels. Um, yeah, debate. I've got it. I've got a really good buddy of mine who's actually a startup founder for an EV boat company, and they just built a beautiful boat. They just test drove it on uh, Lake Coeur d'Alene in Idaho, yeah, and yeah. there's uh, there's actually a lot of crossover with charging these big EV boats, similar to. Um, charging semi trucks that's out there, right? So I don't I don't want to talk too too much because I actually have some secondary ideas of some projects that I want to work with over the next twenty four yeah. to thirty six months once we get this launched out, but. It's like any, there's just a lot of opportunity, you know, like people can look at what's happening and they can look at like, oh, this is changing and they're losing jobs here and automation there. Or you can look at it as like, man, there's a greenfield opportunity in front of me where we can, we can be the first to market to something that no one's ever been to market on. And, uh, and that's kind of the approach that I'm taking. I've got 10 years experience, um, which is more than some, less than others. You know, we made decent money, more than some, less than others, but it's like, man, I feel like, you know, I'm 36 years old. I'm in my prime, I'm like ready to like just take on, uh, you know, take on an industry and uh, and just see the opportunity uh, in it. Yeah, I mean, it's like when when of course back in 2020 when when we were all hit with the pandemic, we had we we had we didn't have the choice of whether we were going to deal with it or not. So it was really <laughs> yeah. how we how we dealt with it, and you know. Uh, how we adjusted our sales, as you p- pointed out so <laughs> earlier yeah. on. So, yeah, it's a, a lot of it. Uh, the same thing's true. There's just a lot of change. But, it, it, you know, if you look back at the pandemic, so many people that I've interviewed on this podcast um, really found tremendous opportunity. Certainly there was a lot of loss and there's always challenge, um, you know, with every big 
um, change or every big um, uh, event that changes is like that. But when you look at the companies that, that came out as winners, they really learned that, you know, how to take advantage of the opportunities that were presented. <laughs> And the tough part is, is you don't feel like a winner when you're in the ring. Sure. Like you just feel like a winner when you come out on top, you know, and I yeah. forget who said, I don't know if it was Dave Ramsey or something, somebody else, you know, a lot of people think that like success is like standing on your goals and your dreams, but really success is just standing on the rubble of all your failures as opposed to standing underneath the rubble of all your failures. And, yeah. and I think that's the big thing. It's like, it's like, you know, like that gumption, like that stick to that non, that don't give up and like find a way to pivot, find a way to bootstrap find a way to do whatever you need to do. Um, you know, that mentality is what's the difference maker between entrepreneurs that are going to make it and, yeah. uh, and entrepreneurs that don't, you know, and, um, it's challenging, right? Sure. Like we've been through challenges. I mean, there's been seasons that we've had to cut personal, you know, personal pay, right? Like I think, you know, uh, you know, and I know there's controversy about recent events, certain CEOs not paying themselves and blah, 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 blah. But, but it's a real thing. And like, you know, it happens in small businesses as much as it happens in big businesses. And, you know, we've put a lot of money into our software. I think I've personally put over $300,000 into our software over the last several years. And it's like, you know, it's easy for people to look on the outside and make judgment calls about how things are done, but they don't realize like the personal sacrifices that are going to be made. So it's like, you know, this entre and again, all your audience knows this already. So if you're in the, if you're in the middle of it, just, you know, they say, if you're walking through hell, keep going. Like, don't stop, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah. keep yeah. on walking, keep on moving, and keep on learning from that, yeah. from your opportunities. Yeah, I, it's the, it's the uh, perseverance or resilience to execute past failure is the way that oh, I man, describe it. Book, Dr. White, I want to recommend to you and to your audience right now. I just got done listening to it. It's called The Endurance. And it's about this uh, this ship. Have you heard of the ship that tried yeah. sailing through the Antarctic in the early yes. 1900s? Yes. Yeah. It blew my mind. Like when you think about the human will to live and the challenges that a human can face and still survive, I I would venture to say there's not one person listening to this podcast right now that has it harder than those individuals. They were stranded for over 400 days in the Antarctic living. Yeah, they had to walk out, right? Yes. Yep. They walked for like dozens of miles. They had to take like a, a six person dinghy, 600 miles from these two different, I, I mean, insane stuff. And it's like, if they can do that, I can build a successful company. <laughs> I think the other remarkable thing about that, if I'm not mistaken, they all made it out. Every one of them. Even one of the guys had a heart attack. And I thought, no, he died, but he was still alive. Like yeah. later on in the chapter, it was like the guy's like, hey, and he was still there nursing his heart attack. Yeah. 27 men. It was uh, absolutely wild. Yes. So I think that's, a, you know, there's a lot of great parallels for um, for leaders of companies as well, because, you know, it's it's like you said, if you're if you found your way into hell, you got to keep walking and you've also got to get your team through. And, uh, I, you know, I, I just I, I love, um, you know, where this conversation's gone because I think it's so important. And and it's probably not what you were thinking about when you were at that wedding, thinking about how you wanted to do something exciting. But the reality of running your own company and having other people depend on you and having to keep going is is pretty tough. Um, and. Yeah, go ahead. I'm no, just... yeah, I mean, you almost kind of like, you know, just with my back, you almost become like a like a pastor or like a counselor or like a, you know, you kind of become all of those types of things. And you have to be very emotionally aware. Like you have to be able to feel your team. Like you have to be able to feel where people are at. And, you know, you really do have to like, you have to love people. You have to have compassion on people. And uh, I remember uh, a season not long ago, my uh, UI UX designer, uh, amazing, amazing lady, she was selling her home and, and like building a van, you know, doing this whole van life thing. And it was like, it presented a lot of challenges at that time. And there were some different delays. And me and my CTO were talking like, is she the right fit? Is she going to really stick out? Da, da, da. And we just continued to feel in our heart to like give her grace, like give her the opportunity to transition in this lifetime. And, uh, you know, in the season of her life. And she had worked for tech data. She had worked for small startups. She had worked for all these 
these different companies. And we had to have a tough conversation just about some challenges that we were going through and some cha- changes that she, we needed to make. And she's like, you know what, Troy, whatever we need to do, I'm 100% on board. I have some of my friends who hate capitalism, but I just tell them that they've never worked for somebody like working for you. And if they worked for people like you, that they would all love capitalism. And I mean, I like almost got that crying. She's like, whatever we need to do, I'm on board. We're in it. And uh, it's amazing. It's, um, you know, and that's what you do. Like you're there for your people. And I have some of the most, I can't, everything that we've done is not because I've done it, but because I've had the most amazing, I work with some of my best friends that have laid it all out on the line that have gone above and beyond. And they've worked to build something, not just to have a job. And as a leader, if, uh, if you can do that as a leader, if you can get people to, if you can, it starts with you loving people. If you can genuinely love people and be driven by love with your people, they'll fall in love with you and they'll, they'll you'll develop a loyalty that goes way beyond a paycheck, way beyond a challenge, way beyond any of it. And you'll find people that will go through thick and thin with you. And that to me is what, aside from money or finances, like that's what the greatness is, is like being able to share these war stories with people. Yeah. Yeah. And when you come out on the other side, (laughs) when you get all 27 people back alive, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing, and the bonds that are built. You know, I was, I, I was headed down the path of asking you, and I, I guess I still want to ask you, what do you look for in people when you're building a team? You know, what, yeah. what are the things you look for? Is it skill? Is it character? Is it all of the above? I mean, what, what, you know, what, what's primary for you? That's such a good question. Um, so I have a personal philosophy that great companies don't attract great people. They just create a, play, a platform to people to be the greatest version of themselves. And I think as an owner of a company, if you could focus, uh, I mean, you want good people, don't get me wrong, but I think like as a leader, you know, uh, John Maxwell says everything rises and falls on leadership. And as a leader, if you can look at your organization and you can say to yourself, how does my opportunity allow people to be the best version of themselves. Because when people are the best version of themselves, they're working hard. They're not working 40 hours. They're working on a mission. When they're, when they, when you can allow, they're working on something that develops them as a care, as their personal character on their personal goals. And we constantly tell people like I'm as a leader, I'm relating people, I'm relating people's today work to their tomorrow vision. Even if today's work is not always what they're going to be doing. Like I have no problem. Like some people are with us for a season and some people are with us for a reason. And it's like, you have to allow allow that. And as a, as a, as an owner of a company, you have to be sensitive to that and realize that's okay. Like some people, we've had people with us for a few weeks that wasn't good, but we had a profound impact in their life. I mean, just the craziest things, people's family dying or just different things. I mean, you, you can imagine, I mean, you know how, how it works, you know? And it's like, some people are there for you for a season and some people are, are there for you for a reason. And I think it's like looking about it less about like, Hey, what can I get from this person? And more like, what can I give to this person? And if as a leader, you will have that heart attitude to your team, it's the law of reciprocity. It's the law of sowing and reaping. When you pour into other people and help them become better versions of themselves, there is this magnetic pull to be part of what you're doing, and it allows people to live out their full season with you. And when it does come time to go for them, it's going to be on a good note, not on a bad note because of that investment that you've mutually put put into each other. So, so I would say is like, you know, you know, to sum that up, it's like, look for somebody that you feel like you can make as equal or more of an impact in their life that they can have in you and your opportunity. And if you'll look at it that way, you'll do amazing things with your team. Yeah, that's great advice. I love that. So, you know, you, um, you know, optimism is also really important for entrepreneurs, and and you, you demonstrate a lot of humility, and and uh, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of I think passion for what you're doing and passion for people. But I'm I'm just really curious. You know, uh, uh, are you as optimistic all the time? And have there been times that you felt like giving up or came close to it? And how did you get past that? Yeah, you know, I think it's um, you know, they say don't don't make any decisions when you're tired or you're hungry. It, but I think that the sentiment of it is like don't make quick decisions, right? Like, you know, know what you're going to do and then do what you know that you're going to do and 
you you don't ever want to feel like you gave up too early, right? Like you see all these memes of like the people digging for gold, right? And the one that was just one shovel full away versus the other person that's there. So I think that there's like that stick to that um, that you need to do. And I think, yeah, I mean, you know, we're 10 years now into owning this company and just a bunch of, we had a great successes. We've had many different challenges and like that thought of like, it's not even just like, hey, do I quit? But it's like, is this worth it? Like, is the output worth the reward that I'm getting from this? And then you start to quantify things that are not just money. Again, you start to quantify like the impact that you're having in people's lives, what it's doing in the industry and, and all these different things. And, um, you know, uh, one thing that, you know, it says, uh, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that faith uh, is the evidence of things not yet seen. And the reality is, is whether you're optimistic or whether you're pessimistic, you're exercising a level of faith because you're believing something that's not proven in the natural. So if you have a negative look on the future, you're believing something that hasn't happened. Just like if you have a positive look on the future, you're believing something that hasn't happened. And optimism is like, you know, being in the top of the bunk trying to help somebody up versus pessimism is like when you're in the bottom of the bunk trying to pull somebody down. Like it's always easier to be negative and pull people down than it is to be optimistic and pull people up. I think, oh man, I'm going to butcher it, but there was a guy who told me the second law of thermodynamics. He says that all things will tend to disarray unless purposefully kept in order. And it's like the idea is like our our desk will be messy unless we keep it in order. Like our laundry will be a mess unless we fold it. Our mind in the same way will tend to entropy unless we focus on keeping it tuned to the positive. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, what did I say? You know, uh, guy go garbage in garbage out. How does that go? And it's like, you watch your eyes, you watch your ears, you watch your, you watch what you're putting in, you know, like I don't, I don't watch nonsense. I don't listen to nonsense. Like I have restrictions on what I'll watch on my phone and what I do and and there's even things, you know, and like you, regardless of moral questionability, like they're just not good for your heart. Like they're just not good things for you to be able to do, you know? And it's like focus on those things that are building your person up on the inside because life on its own is going to have enough negative things throwing at you that's like, again, back to my, one of my earliest comments, like I needed to be brainwashed when I got into entrepreneurism. Like I needed to be washed from this idea of working for a company for 40 years to retire off of what 40% of what wasn't enough to live off of in the first place. And like I needed to be washed of that. Right. And in the same way, like people need to wash their minds with all of the junk that's out there and they need to stir themselves up, whether that's a list of confessions that they have or meditations that they have. It's, uh, People, if for a season, it might seem like automatic, like it might seem like it's on repeat for some people, but those are the times where it's good to establish good habits to focus on, on positive PMA, right? You know, Norman Vincent Peale and all that, you know, wrote, you know, uh, what was it? The, um, think and grow rich, right? I mean, as a man think of James Allen, what I think is what it was, right? It's like, you have to tend your mind. Your mind is like a garden and you have to be intentional about it. Even if, even if, and I know there's people thinking, right, especially young guys, right? Maybe some young gals too, but especially young guys like, nah, man, I'm killing it right now. This is great. I'm da, 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 dude. Like that when things are going great is the time to establish the good habits because you never know when a storm is going to come. You never know when something is going to change. Everybody in real estate in 2007 thought everything was going to be gravy forever until all of a sudden it wasn't one more and they lost everything because of things outside their control. So it's like when things are going great is the best time to be able to start positive mental attitude habits. Yeah, I love this message and I really appreciate you sharing it. And um, in, in the, the book I published, you know, a year or so ago, I call it the practice of entrepreneurship because you don't ever perfect it. And yeah. I love that you mentioned good habits because it's sometimes it's sometimes it's about showing up, you know, and just and you've just got to show up and you try to bring your best game and uh, and uh, you do the best you can. And you the next day you show up again and, you <laughs> and some days day are good before, right? and some days aren't. Yeah. So that's all great advice. You know, I always uh, I could talk. Uh, a lot longer. This has been really great. And sure. I, I'm really excited. Awesome. To this has been a blast. Thank you so much. I've been well, smiles this whole time, Dr. White. Yeah, I love it. There's just so many fun things that we've talked about today. And I was so glad Sarah could join us. That made it even, even better. But before I go, I always, you've given a lot of great advice, but I always ask for one piece of advice. Like if you could only give one piece of advice to our listeners, knowing that a lot of them are 
um, you know, maybe aspiring to, to run their own business, or maybe they're in the early stages, or maybe they're like you, they're, they're out there trying to make it work. What, what would that advice be? Oh my gosh, there's so many different thoughts that I have running in my mind right now. Jeez. Um, I guess the one piece of advice is realizing that there's not one piece of advice that's going to fix your problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's Like, you know, like don't look for the golden, you know, don't look for the silver bullet. Don't look for the snake oil. Don't look for that. Um, but, but the second part of that would be, is like, like give yourself some grace and allow yourself to love the learning process. Like the, the, and I remembered this from, uh, when I went to college for art and design, like art is the process, not the final product. And in entrepreneurship, a lot of time we look at the dollar value or we look at the revenue and we use that as the benchmark of success. And it's not, I mean, it is to a, to a degree, it does exemplify some of the reward of the effort that we put in, but it doesn't always. And fall in love with that learning process, realize that you are the piece of art that's being molded and that's being defined. And if you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, I mean, Colonel Sanders wasn't his chicken, wasn't chicken man until 55 or 60 or whatever it is. But it's just fall in love with that process of molding yourself and growing yourself and learning, learning you, learning what works for you. Maybe you're not a 5 a.m. person. Maybe you're a 1 a.m. person and you're a 9 a.m., you know, whatever. Learn you and focus on molding your life and getting your life uh, in order. And um, yeah, and, and with that is it's not just one thing. It's all, it's learning you and figuring you out. Yeah, I, hope that I, love, I don't know. I love that. That That's great because I agree. I mean, there's all, you get the, you've solved one problem and there'll always be another one. So it's, it's, you've got to be authentic yep. and true to yourself. And, and it is a learning journey. And uh, I'm excited to, to hear all that you've learned since we last talked because it's you, been, yeah. it's been amazing. So where can our listeners connect with you, find out more about Brave Freight and what you do? Yeah, come connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, I've uh, I've traded Instagram in for LinkedIn this year. Except for I helped, I got my my kid a cotton candy business for his birthday. I bought him a cotton candy machine, so I'm on Instagram a little bit right now. But Instagram's good at Troy Brave or LinkedIn. Uh, connect with me, uh, connect me, connect with me on either on LinkedIn or Instagram. So Instagram at Troy Brave or LinkedIn. You can just Google Troy Brave and find out all the cool stuff we're up to. And I want to say this, Dr. White, is I can't say how amazing enough that the University of Tampa is. They kind of accepted me in as like this adopted child as a in the entrepreneurship program. And uh, UT was the catalyst for me coming to Embark. This is where I met Logan with Wanderseat and Danielle and Ellery with uh, Fruitful, which is now Wherewithal. And they're the ones that introduced me to Embark. And, um, and it was a absolute catalyst to changing how I thought about my business. And it was all because of, and actually it was a Tad Savendries and Jonathan Trong with Verapy are the guys that introduced me uh, to the program. So if you're considering uh, being part of the entrepreneurship program at UT, um, stop considering. Inaction is still in action. Make the decision and be a part of it. Not only is Tampa an amazing, beautiful uh, city and just everything that's happening here, UT is literally second to none and the entrepreneurship program is phenomenal. And uh, you would only regret not being a part of it. So I just want to recommend your listeners, if they're on the fence of being a part of of what you're doing, that they should get off the fence and they should be a part of it because it's amazing. Thank you, Troy. Really appreciate that. Thank you for your time. It's been so much fun and really appreciate those those kind words. It was was a joy to have you in the program. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dr. White. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.